Hey, we are in 1 John 4 and Hosea 1. Let me just kind of back up a bit and remind you guys what we're doing. We are in our fifth week of doing a series on just the attributes and characteristics of God. We're calling this God Made Known. Uh, this year in 2022, our, our hope is just to tell the story of God. Because of a lot of different narratives about life, about politics, about ethics, we realize there's a lot of different narratives out there. We want to get back to the, the meta-narrative, the, the story above all stories, the story of God. And so our hope is to say, well, who is God? How do we know there's a God? We spent the first week answering that question. You know, here's how we know, here's how we believe there's a God. Just kind of classic arguments for God's existence. And then we jump straight into the attributes of God. Our hope is just to spend some time really acknowledging who God is. There's something about this, I feel like, in, in my heart, as I'm, like, studying through this in the last four weeks. There's this, I think this mindset, my, my hope is that you and I um, would see God for who he is, even though we really can't. We're trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. And there's a, a part where I feel very limited, but it's so beautiful for us to slow down and say, God, who are you? What are you like? How did you decide to reveal yourself to us? Because so often God revealed himself to us through his characteristics and through his attributes. And so this has been fun for us just to stop and slow down. But my hope is that God would just restore worship in our hearts. Like that God would make us a people that have a high and lofty view of God. Maybe our view of God sometimes is too childish. It's too small. Maybe we like to place God in a box. And I just want to see God for who he is. And so we've been walking through these attributes of God. We did God is holy. Then we did God is joy. Last week, if you missed it, we did God is just. He is righteous. Uh, he is a just judge who must punish sin. Sin will be punished. It's either punished on Jesus or on us. We said, let's just have it be punished on Jesus, accept what he's done. And today we're going to do God is love. God is love. Some of you are like, finally, why wasn't that the first one? Um, this one is honestly overwhelming, just studying for it, because I really feel like there's a lack in between studying for it and knowing it in it academic or kind of like a theological way versus knowing it and experiencing it. And that is, I think, the problem with all of these attributes as we walk through this. I don't want to just know God is joy. I want to experience the God of joy. I don't want to just know God is holy. I want that holiness to radically transform and change my life. And I think every time we're studying an attribute, we're going, we want to know it, but we want it to transform and change us. There is a danger for us to know about God and not know God, and I have to say that every week. I really don't want us to have really good information or knowledge or quotes or thoughts or points, and yet we don't still know him. I want you to know this God of love today. My prayer, honestly, for us today is that the Holy Spirit would pour out the love of God on our hearts, that the love of God would just be poured out on our hearts, that we might know it up here, but that it would sink deeply into our hearts and our lives, and that this love of God would transform us. Amen? Out of all of the attributes of God, this one's kind of maybe the hardest one for me um, to, to t teach on. You know, so I, I thought last week God is just or righteous or bringing up the wrath of God, which is difficult, is hard. But I feel like the love of God is one of those, you're like, oh, I don't want to butcher this one. <laughs> you know, the, the, the love of God, it is just so vast. It's like, where do I begin? H how do we do this in one message? I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. So forgive me. Um, all of these attributes deserve its own series. But there's a side of this where I think this might be one of the most misunderstood attributes of God. I think when it comes to God's love, we might misunderstand what that looks like, what that means, how that plays out in our lives. So I want to kind of get perspective again of like, God is love. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that do? How does that transform us? So I'm, I'm praying that God kind of restores our view of, of God in this way, that God is a God of love. And again, this is maybe the most popular one, but we have to see that God is love and God is just and God is holy and he's right, righteous. All, that, all of these attributes go together. 
is not one above the other, that everything God does is simultaneously both love and just and good and righteous. That everything he does is all of those characteristics and attributes at once. And we looked at this even last week more in detail, and I'll bring it up again today because it's so important. Because how can God be love and just? And we answered that last week with the answer Paul gave us in Romans 3, propitiation. That God is both just and the justifier of the wicked. How could a loving God also be just? How can he forgive and also punish the cross? And we see that in this idea of propitiation. And then we're going to see this again today in 1 John 4. So I just want to remind you or bring this up to speed. And again, we cannot focus on one more than another. Even though, yes, God is love, we cannot act like that trumps all the other ones. They work together uh, simultaneously. Yes, you following me? Uh, here's one thought of this. God, here's a quote from Tozer. He says, no one can conceive what God is except God. Think about that. Only the infinite God understands who he is. We are finite. No one can see what God is except God because God is inconceivable. Even if anyone could conceive it, it couldn't be expressed because God is ineffable. And if it could be expressed, it couldn't be understood because God is incomprehensible. There's a side of this as we talk about the love of God or the different attributes of God. It should bring us to this place where we step back and go, okay, I can maybe try to get, wrap my mind around God being love, but when I need, I need to experience it. And I'm also, there's like a lack of words I have. There, there's something where like I, I can only can do my best to communicate so far you, you need to experience it. You, you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is something I, I, can't, I can't do. I just like, God, pour out, your spirit, pour out your love on us by your spirit. That's what you say you'll do. Do it. Please do it. You know, Charles Spurgeon said about all of the attributes of God, he basically said this one is the hardest one for him to teach on. He said it this way. He says, the love of God makes me back from this, back from this platform utterly ashamed of my poor, feeble words. This love of Christ is the most amazing thing under heaven, if not all, if not in all of heaven itself. It just, I feel like I'm very limited today. And there's almost like a warning, I feel like, for me and for you as we study this. There's some really classic, well-known writings on the attributes of God. One is by a guy named Arthur Pink, and here's what he said. He says, there are many who talk about the love of God who are total strangers to the God of love. We can talk about how God is love, but we're strangers to this God of love. And I don't want to be a stranger. I don't want you to be a stranger. I, I, want, I want this love of God poured out on your hearts by the Spirit. Amen? So we're going to read 1 John 4. Uh, we're going to read 1 John 4, a few verses, and then we're going to do it a little bit different. For our scripture reading, I also want to go to Hosea, because I want to look at this doctrine of God as love, and then I want to look at an example of God's crazy, per persistent love. So we're going to read like a doctrine of this, and then we're going to look at an example of this. So we're going to combine. You guys ready? Can we do that? Oh, I think we can. All right. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Let's read about just God. He says, Beloved, 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone, or whoever loves, has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. That's where you say amen. In this is love. Not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love how Paul last week, we, we, and again, if you miss it, please go back and listen. Paul last week looks at this idea of propitiation through the lens of justice. 
that idea of propitiation is appeasing the righteous wrath of God. That God is just, he must punish sin. And so Jesus was the, Jesus was the propitiation. He was that sacrifice to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. So we looked at it through this lens of justice. John brings up propitiation through this lens of love. And I wish I had time to kind of explore this more with you guys, but I just have to point that out. The way the two times we see it mentioned are in 1 John 1 and, and here, 1 John 4, and then in Romans 3, this idea of that God is just and he is love and is this idea of appeasing the righteous wrath of, of him. So I just want to leave it at that. We're going to turn over to Hosea chapter 1. We're going to read a little bit there. It's a few verses there, Hosea 1. Because, again, this is the doctrine of God here in 1 John, the, the doctrine of God being love. And here is just a wonderful example of God's love. So, I can't read all of it. I'm going to do my best to just pick and choose a few verses. Here we go. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. It's all we're going to read is verse 2 here. Hosea 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea the Lord, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 19. God is trying to make a point with that. And you're like, really? Welcome to church whoredom? Really? Yeah, welcome. So glad you're here. Um, God is like, I want to make an example. Pursue this woman who's going to sleep with others, who's going to forsake you and leave you. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. God is speaking now to Israel. He said, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love. That word is covenantal love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. Then what we read next, so God's like, Hosea, take this wife, marry her. Then she's going to hurt you, leave you, cheat on you. I need you to go get her back. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. We'll read this and end here. The Lord said to me, to Hosea, go again and love a woman, this is his wife, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Notice this phrase. God just trying to make a point. I love, I love the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and they love cakes of raisins. I love that's what they loved. It's fun. Uh, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and an alethic of barley, which would be about another 15 shekels of silver, those two other things. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. Again, welcome to church. One of the most bizarre stories in the Bible. Don't worry, we'll walk through it. I want us to see that God is a God of love, and I want us to see from, the, from start to finish, God is in this amazing pursuit of us even when we run and turn back on him. So let's just pray and invite the Lord to speak. Can we do that? Would you bow our heads? Let's pray. Let's give God a moment. Father, we just want to thank you that you are love. I feel like I'm very limited in my examples, in my words. And so I just ask that Jesus, you'd be magnified. That the cross, the resurrection, that God, you leaving heaven you taking on the form of a man, God, you being everything, spiritually rich became poor, so we who are poor could become rich. We ask that, Jesus, you would transform us, that you would change us, that, God, your love would not just be communicated, but seen, but felt, but moved deep down into our hearts, that, God, by your spirit, you'd pour your love upon us today. Just your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So it finally happened, happened this week, where my son, who is six, became aware of the opposite sex, all right? Uh, this is one of those fun things where my son comes home, 
And, you know, he's never really talked about a girl too much, but this week was a different week. I don't know if it's Valentine's, our anniversary. It's like the perfect storm of things. But he comes home on Thursday. He, he has, like, helps class where he stays a little bit longer and gets some extra assistance. And, and he gets in the car with my wife. He's like, Mom. But she's like, he's like, how's your day? It was a great day. Why was it so great? Well, I don't know if I should say her name. That'd just be too embarrassing. I'm going to make it up. I don't know. Uh, Sarah. We'll just say Sarah. I don't know. Sarah was there in, my cl- in, in helps class today. She's like, really? He goes, yep. And I'm in love. <laughs> like, what do you mean? She's like, well, she's my girlfriend. She's like, she's your girlfriend. Now, I don't know, like, parents, maybe you have already had this experience, but this is, like, kind of fun and overwhelming and a lot at once. You, like, want to go with it, but then you're like, do I correct anything? I don't know. It's just weird. He's like, yep. She's like, well, does she know you like her? She's like, no. She doesn't know I like her, but she's your girlfriend. Yeah. Makes sense, you know, to a six-year-old little brain. But he's, like, super excited. He's, like, bubbly. He's talking about it, and he's just really excited about this girl. And we've actually met her, and she's a very sweet girl. I remember, like, a parent-teacher thing. We kind of thought he was, like, liking her. And she, like, like, a couple months ago, we're, like, at this, I don't know, parent, you know, kid thing with all these other parents. And they're, like, at the same table. And I, I knew when I, I liked her, right, when she's like, Micah, that's not how we do it. We do it like this. And I'm like, yes, correct him. This is great. I like her a lot. But um, he was really excited about it. And Thursday was our anniversary. And so we actually had a babysitter that night. Our friend Haley came over to watch Micah. And she was telling us later when she was putting him down to bed, he asked her, he goes, so Haley, um, do you ha- are, you, are you married yet? <laughs> She's like, uh, no, you, you know that I'm not. Do you have any kids? No, you know that? Well, that's enough about you. Let's talk about me. He basically went from that to like, um, you know, that I have someone I like and I'm, I'm in love. She's like, Really? Yeah, I'm in love. I have a girlfriend. And the same conversation. And again, I love this six-year-old perspective of like waking up to like love. And like that next night, we were putting him into bed and on Friday and I like heard all this stuff. I'm like, Micah, so you love this girl? I love her. I'm like, what is love? What is love? And his answer, and I, I want to make sure I get it like right because I wrote it down immediately. He's like, love is when you love someone so much, you just want to throw up on the floor. That was his answer. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's going to feel in his stomach. He's like, when you love someone so much, you just want to I'm like, I don't know if that's love, buddy. Um, might need to see a doctor. That's not, that's not good. But it's fun to hear a six-year-old's perspective of love. Now, all of us in our view of love, obviously all of us, I don't think anyone's immune to this, all of us need an adjustment and it comes to our perspective of love, whether you're six, 16, 26, 46, 56, 76. I think all of us need like what, again, what is love? What does this look like? How do we define love? Why do so many people define love and look at love differently? And, and so here's the thing. We don't get to define love. I love what John introduced. He says, God is love. God defines this for us. He shows us what love is. And obviously, there's so many ways to approach this. There's so many uh, ideas of talking about maybe the four Greek words for love and what is agape love, and maybe we'll get to that. But I really want to look at just about God. I think if we can understand God, we can understand love better. If we can get to know that God is love, I think you and I will have a better definition and description of love. I think this is so important. And it is interesting to me. I think there's almost like a weird paradox when it comes to love. All of us, like think about everyone here, I feel like when it comes to love, we have this bottomless pit of love. It's almost as if all of us need this unconditional love, and obviously no one can fulfill that here. All of us have like within us this need, whether you're married, not married, like we want to be loved. If you're married, you know, like you have this desire to receive love, and you go, I'm married, I love you, but why am I not receiving like to the extent or level I want? All of us also, at the same time, like people expect love from us in this way. They expect to receive love in this deep way. And I, f- I really do believe God has created us with this like bottomless pit need for love for us to realize I can have like a taste of it in marriage, obviously, because it's a picture of Christ in the church and we can have love in that way. But there's also this idea that this bottomless pit of love can only be filled by a God who is love. 
that this deep need for love, God has made us intentionally that way to say, yes, marriage, covenantial love is a taste of that, a picture of that, of Christ loving the church. But ultimately, we still have the need, this need to be filled with the love of God that only he can fill. This eternal pit of love that God's like, I'm an eternal God, and I can fill this pit of love in your life. And so I want to look at this, because God is love. We just read that. So let's kind of walk through this. Really two points. I want to look at First John, First John 4, and then I want to go back to Hosea. So we're going to look at God's love misunderstood and God's love experienced. I want to look at God's love being misunderstood and God's love experienced. So the first point, and we'll go back to First John 4, so if you want to turn back there. The first point is God's love misunderstood, meaning I think this character and, and attribute of God is really misunderstood in a lot of ways. We kind of have some mantras in our generation of love. The way we might describe love is, I think, obviously incredibly different than the way the Bible or God shows love. I think we have some common sayings today, and I'll just put a couple up here. Uh, we say, if you love me, you won't judge me, right? That's kind of one thing. Like, hey, if you love me, you won't judge me. And they're like, you're obviously not married yet. Um, but here's this idea. If you love me, you won't judge me. I think that's a common saying. So it's like, no, you won't criticize, you won't critique there's a side of it where love is so unique, where you are completely loved for who you are. You're completely embraced by the love of God, but the love of God leads to transformation. Like, you cannot say that with the same way. It's almost like God's like, I love you so much. Come as you are, but I also love you so much. You cannot say the same. There's a side of it where our world, our generation says, no, no, no. If you love me, there's not going to be any judgment here. You know, I don't know if that's what Jesus had in mind when he died on the cross. Is, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to sacrifice my life for you so that you can ultimately still just do whatever you want and just ignore me. Like, I'm going to shed my blood for the forgiveness of sins so just you can continue in sins and not lead to transformation. The, the point is, like, love does transform. Love will absolutely change. You cannot and you will not be the same. There's a side of this, too, where, again, whether this idea of love does not judge, no, be, there, there's two Greek words for the word judge. There's one Greek word that infers that he had judged to condemn, Right? It's funny how everyone knows one verse in the Bible. It's judge not, lest ye be judged. They say in Old King James to make it sound more legit, spiritual. It's like, how do you know that? It's like, well, I know it in Old King James too. I go, wow, it's real. But here's the idea. That word judge means don't judge to condemn. Don't, don't have a condemning judgment. There's another word for judge that means judge to exhort. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that you must judge among each other? Because one day you're going to judge the angels. Like what? The idea too is like almost, I need a ju- we judge to exhort one another, to build each other up. It's like the coach who pulls an athlete aside. It was like, okay, this is what you got wrong. What are they doing? They're off. They're judging. They're saying, hey, this is where you're off, but I love you. I'm trying to correct you. I'm trying to bring you into a better place. I want, I want to exhort you in this. See, there's also a, ludged, a, a, a judgment to exhort, a judgment to build up. And we have, again, this mindset, like, if you love me, you won't judge me. You go, no, no, I love you so much. But again, I, I love you so much, there has to be transformation and change. There has to be. And so the other thought, I think the other mantra of our day and age is, if you love me, you'll let me do whatever I want. I feel like I'll see this on social media a lot or a phrase like this. Like, if you love me, just let me be me. If you love me, let me do whatever I want. And it's more of like an affirming type of love. It's saying, affirm me. Just let me be me. Let me do whatever I want. That is love. And again, I think that's such a broken misunderstanding of love. Loving is not just affirmation. Again, if I go to a doctor and I'm like, I fi- he finds out that I have cancer or something serious, he's like, oh, gosh, but I love this guy. I can't let him know he has cancer. You know, hey, man, everything's looking good. just want you to know <laughs> things are great. Like, no, I don't want a- affirmation. Like, I need to know. Like, love would be like, hey, I, have some- I love you, but I have to tell you some very difficult news. 
Again, we live in a, a very bizarre moment where people say, if you love me, you will completely um, accept not just me, but my beliefs, my ideologies. We, we also are, are, we're told this in scriptures, we can love someone and disagree with them. We can absolutely love someone so much. Like, I love you. I would give my life for you. I, I would give my shirt my back for you. I'll do whatever you need. But again, I love you so much. I have to call you out. Or I have to say, this is not healthy. This is not good. I love you so much. I will say the hard thing. I will do the hard thing. I mean, this is so important. Think about this when it comes to, like, affirmation. Parents, again, you know this idea. When it comes to kids, and maybe you've seen parents who are just like, I don't know, I don't really want to correct my kids. I'm not really believing in I'm not really into that. It's like, if you love your children, you have to correct them. If you see a parent who's just like, you know what, I love my kids, I love them do whatever they want. Like, whatever they want. What does that mean? They want to stay up to midnight, they can stay up, they want ice cream? Yeah. It's like, Dad, can I have a puppy? Sure. Dad, can I go to, like, you know, can I have some $100? Like, yeah, like, whatever you want. Like, that's not love. Like, you're creating, like, a little monster, a little terrorist. You're creating a little Veruca from, like, Willy Wonka, right? The idea is, like, no, no, like, because I love you, I can't just affirm you. I can't let you go down this path. Like, I love you so much, I have to intervene. Like, I have to get involved. Uh, it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 5 through 6, it walks through this idea. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, here's how the Bible views love. God loves you so much, he has to bring discipline. God loves you so much, there has to be chastisement at times. Parents, can you know this? I love you, but I don't want to create a monster, so I have to also discipline you. I can't just give you whatever your heart wants. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. I have to intervene. And so someone goes, if you just love me, to love even my beliefs and ideologies. Like, no, because there's some beliefs and ideologies that are harmful. Here's a weird thought. We have this assumption that God will just agree with all of us all the time everywhere. Like, we think God is love in our day. So since God is love, God would never disagree with me. Since God is love, God obviously has the same view on politics I have. Since God is love, God obviously views this topic the same way I view it. And it's like, well, maybe not. You see, God is love. And in God's love, he goes, let me give you some course correction. Let me discipline. Let me teach. Let me rebuke. Let me exhort. This is so important for us. Like, it's so needed today. I think we have such a shallow view of love. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. C.S. Lewis says, all of us really in our heart of hearts want God as a grandpa. He basically says, we don't know, if we say we want God, we want that God is love, but when we think God is love, we think God is love like a grandpa loves us, right? And here's how he just describes it. I like this because only Lewis could say it this way. He says, what would really satisfy us would be a God who said of anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so as long as they are contented? We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves. This is obviously like in the 50s. Uh, and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of, the, of each day, a good time was had by all. And everyone said amen. Um, I should very much like to live in a universe which was governed on such lines. But since it is abundantly clear that I don't, and since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. Our conception of love needs correction. I think that when it comes to love, we, we view God as love will just say, do whatever you want, wherever, wherever you want, however you feel in that moment, but that is not love. Again, love is I love you. It's complete. It's holistic. It's saying I love you. I care for you. I have to intervene. I have to come alongside you and bring correction at a certain point. So what is, what is love according to scriptures? It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. I think it's one of the clearest definition of God is love and of God being love. So he just said in verse 8, God is love. And then he says this, verse 9. Put the verse up. 1 John 4, verse 9. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, in this is, the, is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us. Uh, uh, first, verse 19 would say it. We haven't loved God first. He first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. So in this is the love of God. He loved us. I want to be really clear here. God loves us. We go, why? Great question. I really don't know. Like, when you think about this, like, sometimes we view that God loves us because we're so lovable. That's not the case. God does not love us because we are so lovable. God loves us because God is love. It's a really funny thought, but, like, I I had my son ask me, he goes, why do you love me? I'm like, great question, dude. No, I was like, here's why. You're mine. I love you. I don't need a reason. I don't love you because of something you do. I just love you. There's a sign like, in this, the love of God was made known. Just, he loved us. He's just saying God loves us. What did we do? Uh, not a thing. God just loves us. I mean, it's so beautiful to think this. Wait, wait, I don't earn the love of God? I don't work for the love of God? No. I think, you know, we, sometimes we can almost treat God's love like a paycheck, right? Because no one goes to work and, like, works all day, works really hard, works for weeks or months, and goes to the boss, like, thank you boss, so much, boss. Like, thank you so much. I don't know what I'd do without you. Like, thank you for this paycheck. I'd be nothing without you. No, you're like, where's my money? Right? That's kind of our attitude. We kind of treat God like that. Like, hey, God, where's my love? We almost assume that we deserve it. We almost treat his love like we have worked for it. We haven't. There's something about the love of God. He got so freely given. I mean, we not work for it. It's not a paycheck. It's not like you're good this week. Here's your paycheck of love. It's unbelievable to think God says, I just love you. I just love you. It's really interesting. God actually says this to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. It's worth reading. I just want to read it out loud to you guys. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. Here's what it says. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, listen, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Why does he love them? Because he loves you. <laughs> like the, the, the way it's worded is so interesting. It's not because you're the greatest amount of people. It's not because you're the greatest people. It's because he loves you and he's faithful to his word. He said it, he's going to do it. I just love this about God's love. It's like, uh, what did you do for it? Uh, literally nothing. God's like, I just love you. You're my, you are mine. Like I can't get away from that. You were just simply mine. That's why. You're mine. God is love. It's been said that uh, if, if lo- you got back, like if, if love was a river, the source would be God. Like, ultimately, if you look at love going throughout, you say God is the source of it. God is love. It's incredibly beautiful that he loved us. I'm going to share a verse maybe you've never heard before. It's John 3, 16. It says, for God, what? So loved, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But I want you to hear that God so loved the world. Here's what's interesting. Even when you get into that word world, like, I know that verse sounds very common and very basic. John 3, 16, everyone knows that. I mean, there's like books and books and books just on John 3, 16, like debates about what does this mean, which is so funny to me, right? We just can't receive it. But there's authors who go, if we have to describe this, the word world here, the cosmos, like it's not just the world, like the earth. It's actually everything about it. Like, it's institutions, it's people, it's everything. Like, meaning, God loves the world that is in in complete rebellion to him. The world that basically says, God, we want nothing to do with you. We actually, in fact, wish that we're going to pretend you don't exist. Where basically the world says, screw God. How can I ever love God? God obviously does not love us. The world that has such, like, an anger towards him, God's like, I love you. God so loved the world that turned his back on him. God so loved the world that is in complete rebellion against him. God loves that world. God loves that. I'm a part of that world. 
God so loves the world. I love how D.A. Carson says about John 3.16. He says, in John 3.16, God's love in sending the Lord Jesus is to be admired, not because it is extended to so big a thing as the world, but to so bad a thing, not to so many people as to such a wicked people. When we read that, it's like, wow, God so loved the world. What a big thing. God loves the world. Like this big old thing. No, no, he loves such a bad thing. The world that wants nothing to do with him. He's like, I love you. I'm going to radically pursue you. I'm for you. I so love the world, I'm going to give the most precious thing I have for you. Again, there's, there's something about the love of God I feel very inadequate teaching or talking on it because it's like, you need to taste and see it for yourself. You need to know it yourself. Because, and I get this, when we talk about God being loved, God is love, he loved us. We haven't loved him first, he loved us first, okay. But there's some issues we have with that. Like when I talk to some people, it's like, no, how could God be loving? Look at rape, murder, disease. Look at cancer. If God loves me, why did he steal the person I love so much from me? Like, if God is so loving, why would he do that? There's a, there's a time where I just go, I don't know. I can't answer those questions. Whenever someone's like, why would God? I'm like, I don't know. You want me to speak on, on behalf of the infinite God? I cannot really give anything unless God were to speak into it himself. But here's what I know. I know God is not immune to that suffering. I know that God placed himself under that suffering. I know that God lost loved ones. I know that God gave his own life sacrificially. I know that God suffered under the same results of sin that you and I suffer under. I know that God's not like, well, earth, you screwed it up. Adam, you hand it over to Satan. Good job, buddy. Good luck, man. Like, no, God's like, okay, let me enter into that brokenness. Let me enter into that curse. Let me enter into that pain. God's like, okay, yeah. I, I've, I too have experienced the results of sin. I too have walked under that. I too have suffered under that. I know that my God's not immune to it. See, I, I love this about our God. God is love. You go, but still, I still struggle with this. Why would God ever do this? Well, what are God's options here? It's since God is love, what does he do? Should he just automatically just you know, create us in such a way where we have no other option but to worship and love him? You know, there's, there's kind of two thoughts. Because you think, well, why would God still allow pain, suffering, murder, disease? Why does God, if God is love, why does he do that? Here's the other options. We wrote it down this way, two ways. Uh, essentially, the other options is that God could change everyone's personality so that they cannot sin. He programs us. Or God could compensate for people's evil actions through supernatural intervention 100% of the time, meaning God's intervention would infringe on something we wanted to do. So either God, the options are, he either loves us, and he goes, I love you so much, you have the choice. Or he programs us or wires us, or you want him to intervene on every single thing that happens. And again, that takes away from love. It takes away from God saying, no, no, I'm like, I, I love you. I'm gonna let this play out. But at the same time, God has got a res restoration and redemption and pursuing and persisting. That God's like, I love you so much, I'm going to pursue and seek to redeem this and reconcile this. That I'm going to come under this. Because I get it. I really do get it. Some people I love the most who've, who've walked away from the Lord, the question for them is like, how could a loving God send someone to hell? The people I love the most, they've, they've really wrestled with like, if God is love, he could never send someone to hell. And it's a really valid question. And it's painful and it's hard. Like, how do you think about that? There's so many ways and approaches to this. But you're going, man, you're right, God is love. And even in his love, people have to step over the dead body of Jesus to end up in hell. Like, when you think about this, yes, how could a loving God send someone to hell? But how could a just God send someone to heaven? God wouldn't be just then, what we studied last week. How could a just God send someone to heaven? That to me is a bigger issue. How could a righteous God, how could a good God send someone like me to heaven? How do you answer that question? Say, well, you answer this question, the cross. You say, God said, no, no, I love you so much. I'm going to make it incredibly difficult for you to be apart from my love. If you don't want my love, if you don't want me, you literally have to step over the dead body of my son to be separated from me. 
God loves us so much, he makes it incredibly difficult. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, Ezekiel says many times. God's like, this is not my will for mankind. My will is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. This is my will. This is my heart. And if someone wants to run away from me, in my love, I allow them. In my love, they've made that decision. As C.S. Lewis would say, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. It's not so much me sending them. They've locked themselves in there. They, they purposely ran from it. But here's the thing. God's love is so overwhelming. God's love is so persistent. It's, it's this pursuing type of love. God, and again, I, I want to make sure we get this picture. God is not just in heaven indifferent, going, well, they can follow me or not. What I love about our God is God's like, no, no, I'm a, I'm a passionate God, like a husband is to a wife, like a father is to children. I'm a lover to, to mankind. I love you so much. I'm going to passionately pursue you. So here's what I want to get to. We need to get to number two, which is love experienced. Love experienced. J.I. Packer says, to know God's love is indeed heaven on earth. To know God's love is indeed heaven on earth. So we need to know God's love, not just here, but how do we, do we know it? Have we experienced it? So number two, love experienced. Would you again turn with me to Hosea chapter one? Hosea chapter one, I want to just read this because there is like, yes, first John four, we know God is love. God loved us first. We didn't love him. He pursued us. But have you experienced this? Have you seen God as a lover who's pursuing after his bride? Have we seen God in this way? So uh, Hosea chapter one, let me just actually just give you again the context of this. Here's Hosea. He's a prophet. A prophet is there to communicate the things of God. A prophet is there to represent God to the people. A prophet is there to speak on behalf of God, maybe about his characteristics, his attributes, who he is, what he's doing. And so God's like, Hosea, this is going to be different. Uh, The word of the Lord came to Hosea. It says that about Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Obadiah, like so many prophets the word of the Lord came to, but this one's different. He's like, I'm going to actually have you participate in something. This is going to be a living parable. You're going to experience the, the things that I've experienced when it comes to love. And I want people to see this clearly. So God's like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get a woman. And actually the way it describes her, she's a woman without walls. A woman without boundaries. She's open. You're going to get a woman of whoredom. Learn <laughs> what it says in 1 verse 2. And basically she plays the harlot. She's been sleeping with men her whole life. But you're going to marry her. You're going to give yourself fully to her. You're going to love her, protect her, keep her safe. And even when she runs from you, you're going to pursue. Even when she turns her back on you, you're going to run after her. And God's like, you're going to see what my love looks like. You're going to see how my love works. It's actually really interesting because she ends up selling herself to slavery, to, to men. She's given herself over to men. She, she's actually given herself over to men who are abusing her, who are hurting her, who are not taking care of her, who don't view her as, as beautiful or worthy or priceless. They just take advantage of her. There, there's a references that appears that she's beaten by these men. She's hurt by these men. And yet she keeps constantly going to these men. The thing that she's given herself over to is hurting her. Is that not what we do? The things that we constantly give ourselves over to, they hurt us. But she's given herself over to these men. They're hurting her. They're abusing her. It says in actually Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, we can read it, but Hosea 2, verse 5, it says, For their mother has played the whore. She conceived them, has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, my drink. But here's what verse 8 says. Look what it says in verse 8. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil. And who lavished on her silver and gold, but which they use for Baal. It's like Isaiah's going, I'm the one who is constantly providing for her. Silver, wine, oil, I'm giving to her, but she thinks it's her lover's the whole time. She doesn't know it's from me. The God's like, I'm constantly providing, I'm constantly giving to you, and yet you think it's maybe your resources. You think it's yourself. God's like, I'm in pursuit of you. So Hosea marries this woman, Gomer, who is a prostitute. They end up, she ends up having three children. The last child is kind of disputed. Is that his? Because he literally names that child, not my people, not my person. It's a very beautiful story. There's a boy, girl, boy. 
with the idea of what she's doing here is, you, is a picture of northern Israel, of Israel, of Judah, and of the Gentiles, not my people. And God's like, you're going to love this woman. She's going to cheat on you, hurt you many times. She's going to sell herself to other men. She's going to make money off of sex. But you pursue her. You love her. Eventually in chapter 3, we see that uh, Hosea finds his bride, his wife, in the marketplace, basically being auctioned off. It's one of those things where you have to think about the situation of being a husband and you're going, here's my wife, probably in public, stripped naked, probably stripped bare. People going, 10 shekels, 12 shekels. And he has, to, he has to bid on his wife, his wife. She sees him, he sees her. He pays 15 shekels. And then it says in verse 3, like barley, and a, le- uh, a, a, a homer and a lethic of barley, which this is just an interesting thing to me, but people who study that say that was commonly known just in, like a, in a tangible way as 15 more shekels. Those two things would equal 15 shekels. And the point was he paid 30 pieces of silver for her. 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave at that point. She's essentially a slave to sex. And he has to pay the slave price to get his wife back. He has to go, hey, it's, honey, it's me. Uh, 30 shekels, basically. 15 in this. He buys his own wife. And you think, what is he going to do to me? Like, I've hurt him so much. I ran from him so much. You can read in Jose, he's like, I'm going to give her the best home. I'm going to give her the best place. I'm going to welcome her in. I'm going to cover her nakedness. Everything she never experienced from those she sought after, she's going to get it from me. Did she deserve that? Of course not. I can't imagine the idea of bidding on my wife, my wife, because she sold herself over to these men. But he's like, God's like, Hosea, you're going to walk through this and know this is the love I have for my people. They constantly give themselves over to other idols. They constantly serve other gods. They think those gods are providing for them. Little do they know the whole time it was me providing for them. Little do they know it was me pursuing them. And even though she turns her back on you time and time again, go, purchase her, pay the slave price for her, take her back. I mean, what's beautiful about this, and you read Hosea as a whole, it's so needed, we really don't know how Gomer responds. Like, we don't know. I think that's one of the best things about storytelling. He, like, leaves it open. Like, was her heart melted by this generosity? Was she like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe my husband would go through all that. Look what I put him through, and look how much he loves me, pursued me. We actually don't know what she did. We don't know how she responds. Almost like God is leaving this open-ended to saying, how are you going to respond to my love? What are you going to do? How do you respond to this? Are you going to repent? Are you going to be, is this going to melt your heart? Are you going to be a person who puts up walls now and and boundaries now? Like, do you have walls down? Are you going to be a person who says, no, God, I'm going to be focused on you. Like, you, you, you you, you and me alone. We don't know how she responded. And God is like, how are you going to respond to my love? And it's very open-ended. It's incredibly beautiful. Then even Hosea 11. Think about his three kids. By the way, they're a mess, obviously. <laughs> Just his parents, what they're going through. His kids are a wreck. And God's like, I'm going to pursue you now. I'm going to pursue your children. I'm going to pour my love for your kids. It's so beautiful because you get to Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. And he's, God says this to now his children. He says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? Another word for Israel. How can I give you up? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion for you, it grows warm and tender. He's like, even though the kids are messed up, even though they want nothing to do with me, my heart is just tender towards you. So his wife's a mess, his family's a mess, and he's like, I'm going to pursue the wife, I'm going to pursue the children, I'm going to pursue all of you. Not my people, he says about, remember he named his third, not my people? He says, now they're my people. They're mine. They're my people. 
my thing is, God's like, we got to see this relentless God who says, I'm going to pursue you with everything I've got. I'm, I'm like a husband who loves his wife. I'm like a father whose children abandoned and, and forsaken and pursue them. I want you to see my love. One author wrote it down this way. He says, unless you understand, speaking for God, unless you and I understand, I am a husband whose wife has left him. I'm a father whose children have rejected him and who are destroying themselves before my very eyes. You will not understand my love and you, will, you won't understand how my heart works. Unless you see this is who I am, you just won't understand my love and how my heart works. You need to see how this works. I'm like a father pursuing a bride who, who's relentlessly running away from him. I'm like, or like his, his children running away from him. My thing is we need to see God in this light. Here's a, just a few points I want to make through the story. Because when you read Hosea as a whole and you go, God, what are you saying here? God, what are you showing us here? What do you teach us about your love? Here's the first thing. God's love is beyond my understanding. When I read this, I don't get this. When I read the story of Hosea, I go, I don't understand this kind of love. I don't. And there's a side of it where like God's love is beyond my understanding. I have like a very childish view of love sometimes. I think we can all, we all do. You know, you think about a child, they don't get love from parents. It is funny when I see this with my kid, but it's like, why won't you buy me this video game, but you'll like buy a new fridge? It's like, well, because I love you. You obviously don't love me. You obviously don't get love, right? Like there's a side of it where it's like, they don't understand, like why would you do this, but you're able to do it this way? It's like, because I love you and food's more important than that. Like the whole point is it's very bizarre to them. They don't get love. I think God's love for me is beyond, I have to acknowledge there's an extent where I don't get God's love. This love that pursues a woman who sells herself to men for sex over and over and over again, whose kids are literally a mess, and you can read about that. They're, they're a mess, and God's like, my heart is tender towards you. I love you. I, full, I really don't fully get that. I, I, that's one of those things where I, I, don't have, I feel like I, I, there's a big lack in my life to communicate this. Other than God's love is just relentless in its pursuit of us. God's love doesn't make sense to me. My love gives up. We live in a moment and in a time where like, we like to quit on love. They, this is hard, this is difficult, I don't like this, I'm done. And God's love doesn't do that. God's love is just persistent in its pursuit. There's another thought from this. God's love is just willing to get hurt. I want you to see when you read Hosea, you see that, wow, God, your love is willing to be vulnerable and get hurt. Could you imagine knowing you're going to marry a person like this, knowing that their heart's going to be prone to wander, their heart's going to be prone to sleep with other men? I'm giving my, I'm, I love you so much, I'm willing to get hurt. I'll even pay my own money. I, I'm willing to be hurt in this process. Here's what I see about God's love. God's love is incredibly vulnerable. Like, this is what blows me away. God, who we rebelled against, who we sinned against, is like showing you, I'm bearing my heart, I'm tender towards my kids, I'm tender towards my wife. Like, God is saying, I'm willing to get hurt in this process. Obviously, he did. God was hurt in the process of love. God was hurt. God took on death so that you and I would not, would not have to. What I love about this is God is willing to place himself in a vulnerable situation in his pursuit of love for us. God leaving it all, leaving heaven, coming to earth, God is willing to get hurt in this process. You know, let me just, again, be really clear. You will never have intimacy in a relationship unless both of you are vulnerable. For there to be intimacy and love, both have to be vulnerable. If you think about this, and when I talk to couples who are like about to get married, I'm like, listen, you can't have one person who's vulnerable and one person who's cold and closed off. There needs to be like mutual vulnerability. And the question is, well, who goes first? Like, we're both hurt, we're both frustrated, we're both cold to each other. Who's willing to, to, to be vulnerable? God's like, let me show you. Let me be vulnerable. Let me kind of expose. I'm willing to pay for you and bid on you, even though I might get hurt in this process. Even though I'm definitely already hurt in this process. The point is, for there ever to be intimacy in a relationship, there has to be vulnerability. And God constantly is saying, look at my love for you. I'm willing to get hurt for you. So much that I died for you. It was more than just a will. But it's so, I want you to see that. He's like, I'm all in. I am willing to suffer for you. God's love in Hosea is willing to get hurt for us. 
God's love here, and what's clearly seen is God's love has a cost. God's love cost him, not us. But so much so, buying back his own wife, that slave price, that 30 pieces of silver, that's saying, you know what, you're a slave, I'm going to buy, I'm going to purchase, that we just know this, love has a cost in so many different ways. Love will cost you your time, your energy, your money. Love will cost you free time, thoughts. It, it just costs you. And God's like, yeah, I'm willing to pay that cost. I'm willing to make that payment. It's worth it. You're worth it. I love how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. God's like, I bought you at a price. That price was my son's blood. That price, Jesus becoming that slave for 30 pieces of silver, he was sold into slavery. For 30 pieces of silver, he says, I'm going to become Gomer. The one who was bought, the one who sold it as a slave, I'm going to become that slave for you. I'm going to be bought and sold for 30 pieces of silver to show you that I'll become a slave so you can be free. He's like, I'll take on that. I'll also be the Hosea in the pursuit of you. It's, it's unbelievable how God like, takes on that, that victor role and also the role of suffering. He's like, I'm both. I'm the Hosea who pursues you, but I'm also the one who will be bought and sold for you. You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. Amazing. Amazing. God in the story of Hosea is both Hosea and Gomer. It's something I don't fully get. I will put myself in this position. I will be, I'll be sold off to slavery for you so you can live. This is unbelievable to me. Love truly does have a cost. It always does. Absolutely does. It says in Romans 5, 8 that God, what, demonstrated his love toward us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God's like, even when you're in complete rebellion against me, like Gomer, I'm going to demonstrate my love for you. That God demonstrated or showed his love that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not just he, was, he died for someone who, who was like loving him back. He died for someone who basically said, screw you, God, I want nothing to do with you. Even while we're still sinners, God's like, I'm going to pursue you. Even when you don't want me, I want you. It's unbelievable to me. You know, back in November of last year, I got one of those article pop-up things. Um, one of those stories from People Magazine, but it's one of those things that like shook me to my core and I had to just read it and I had to share it with you. I don't know if you saw this story. There's a story of a father-daughter, uh, Michael and Lainey Purdue. Basically, a father-daughter went on a, a plane uh, with a few friends. They're flying from Michigan over to an island, Beaver Islands. Five people in this airplane, uh, not too long into the flight. The flight's going down. And Lainey's telling her story. She goes, you know, my dad obviously was scared. He grabs me. He hugs me. He's telling me how much he loves me. And my last memory is my dad just grabbing onto me and bear-hugging me, like as hard as he could. That's my last memory. Plane goes down. Everyone dies but this 11-year-old girl. And it's one of those stories where you just read it. She broke 11 bones. Everyone is clear, like, you, you would not be here if your dad did not absorb that crash for you. Like, you would not be here if your dad did not give his life for you. And they're, like, you know, right about him. Like, he was known for his best bear hugs. Good dad, good father, always there. And I, I, you look at that story and you go, of course. Of course, every father loves their child is going to do that. Like, I'm going to hug you. I'm going to absorb the wrath for you. I'm going to take that on so you can live. But it's amazing to think that God did not just demonstrate his love towards people who loved him back. He, God demonstrated his love for us. He said, well, I want nothing to do with you, God. God's like, I'm going to absorb the wrath for you. I'm going to take it for you. I love you. You know, I think those, little, those stories we get little glimpses of, glimpses of, it's nothing compared to the love of God. I read that story. I remember just reading it, like just crying, thinking about my son, my daughter. Like, of course, I'd cradle you, do my best, absorb the wrath so you could live. But you think like, God, what is, what is your love for me? It's that way more so. Even when I want nothing to do with you, God, you, you love me. In such a persistent way. God, guys, love has a cost. Obviously, the cost was the blood of Jesus for you and for me. My thing is this. Whenever we question the love of God, we have to go back to the cross. How could God ever love me? It's like we can, I have no right to question the love of God. 
I have no right to go, God, you can never love me, because look at this, like, are you kidding me? It is, again, when I talk about God's love, like, our love needs to be, like, more sophisticated, more mature, because think about it, again, this is what children do. If you loved me, God, you would do this. It's like, wow, you don't get it, do you? God, if you loved me, you would, you'd answer my prayer in this way. He's like, wow, you don't get love, do you? Not yet. There's a side of love where you just kind of realize, like, I have to surrender. God's love is so much bigger. I'm like a child to God, and God's like that father. I don't get it yet. I'm praying that I will get to understand his love more and more. I'll have a more, a broader approach to love that God has. But this is love, that God demonstrates love towards us, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. We're still at our worst, Christ pursued us. This is love. Amen? See, here's what Hosea teaches me. God, God's love pursues people who run. This is what it does. Gomer's on the run. Jose is on the, on the chase. And God's like, you're on the run. I'm on the chase. I'm going to pursue you. I do want you to know, it's just very clear. From beginning to end, God is constantly in pursuit of us. Hey, Adam, where are you? You sinned. Adam, where are you? Uh, here, here, God. Like, my thing is, it's not Adam looking for God. It's God looking for us. I want you to see that God is in pursuit of you right now. Whether or not you feel that, God is in pursuit of you. Whether you've been a Christian for your whole life or you're not a Christian, not a believer in Jesus yet, I want to say God is in this pursuit of us. And it is just such a love story of though we turn to other gods time and time again, though we turn to other idols, though we turn to other things, God's like, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to show you true love. I'm going to welcome you home. I'm going to present a, a real vineyard for you, a real home for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your needs. God is constantly trying to show us what love is. And yet we constantly turn our hearts to other idols. And God's constantly going, but you can come back. Come on back. I love you. With a steadfast, covenantal love is how he said it in Hosea 2, verse 20. With his covenantal love, that my love for you is covenantal. You might not keep up your end of the bargain. I'm going to keep up my end of the bargain. I'm going to pursue you in this way. This is the kind of love God has. I don't get it. It's a love that pursues people who run, people like me, people like you. It's a love that is in constant pursuit of us. Amen? That is a beautiful thing. This is how God's love works. Martin Luther said, uh, if we had a full understanding of this love of God for men, a joy so great would come to us that we'd promptly die because of it. From this we see that only few taste even a few drops of this immense joy, of this love, not to mention the whole ocean of it. We barely get a taste. I don't think we can handle this love. I think there's moments that God's like, do you see how much I love you? And you're like, yes, Lord, and, but we're prone to forget. We're really prone to forget how much he loves us. This is a reminder for us that God is love, that God is a source of love, that this is God. God, This is who he is. He doesn't just do love, he is love. And in light of that, he does love, but he just, this is who he is. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Why does he love us? I still don't know. Because he loves us. That's just who he is. He goes, it's because you're mine. I'm going to be faithful to my word. I love you. A steadfast, covenantal love. Look at the cross. How could you question my love? I demonstrated my love to you. We see God's love is just so much greater than I think you and I could ever imagine. You know, Tozer wrote this about just heaven and love. He says, heaven is filled with love. And whoever does not know the love of God on earth will not be happy in heaven. Certainly, he'll not be happy in hell either. That's the horror of it. He won't be happy anywhere. Got to think through this. Heaven is just a place filled with the love of God. Experience that love today. People think, how could God send someone to hell? They wouldn't want to be there to begin with. He's like, they wouldn't want it. They don't don't want the love of God. That's what it's filled. It's just filled with the love of God. They're not going to be happy anywhere. That's the scary side. That's the miserable. You're discontent. You're dishappy now. You'll be dishappy later because experience this love of God now. 
This is why Paul says in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? What can separate us from the love of God? What? Nothing. God's like, I'm, I, I'm pursuing you. I love you. I love this about God's love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Have you experienced that? Has that love transformed you? Has it changed you? Has, has your heart been redeemed by that love of God? Have you tasted and seen that side of God? This God's persistent pursuit of love, that God paid a huge price for you. God bought you at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. Amen? I just want to give us some time to respond to the love of God. You know, I think my, again, my concern in this is that people hear the love of God, but don't experience the love of God. I can't force that. I can't manipulate that. I pray that you experience the love of God. I, I pray that you, this, this time now, that you sense God speaking to you and say, hey, I'm pursuing you. I love you. Stop running. I'm going to take you into a better home, a better place, a better life. You think this thing will satisfy you. You think this man or this woman or this experience will satisfy you. And yet, time and time again, it doesn't. Come back home. Come back home. I will satisfy you with my love. Come back home. You have a bottomless pit of love in your life that cannot be filled by anything other than an eternal God. Stop looking in love in these certain places or men or perspectives that this, this love that you need is filled by me, who is a God of love. And we just want to respond to that in worship. Can we do that? Can we just bow our head, close our eyes, worship team, why don't you come up here? We just want to end by thanking God, by praising God, by bringing our attention on him. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God of love. God, we thank you that everything you do is through a lens of love, that you are love in every judgment, in every decision. That, God, I still have a childish view or perspective of love. I don't fully get it. I don't understand why you might allow something, but, God, I still surrender to the truth that you are love, that everything you do is out of love, that, God, you are good. And I just ask that you would just be here, that we can honor you, worship you, sing to you, that, God, your love would be poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God, pour your love on us, I ask. Let it be so much more than a teaching, but just do this, we ask, in this moment. Jesus, for those who question your love, for those who don't believe it, God, let them know that you have loved them freely. There's nothing they could do. That the Lord, let them just receive it. It is not a paycheck they work for, but let them receive it, Jesus. We thank you that we can just, again, seek you, hear from you. Lord, we want to now turn our attention to you. As we sing, we ask that you would just sing over us. We ask that we would experience your love over us. That's really you singing your praises, God, that we would run home to you. We thank you for this love that you show us. We thank you for this love that you've given us, and it's found in your son, Jesus, and how we receive it in his name. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Why don't you guys just stand? Let's just close our time with some worship.